Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. Well, this is Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Welcome back to The Breakdown. This is our conversation that we have monthly where we take the hard issues of the day and we break them down in their individual pieces for all of you that want to be able to really dig into a subject. Our goal is, as always, to make you the smartest kid at the water cooler, or if you don't get to go to the office anymore, the smartest kid on the Zoom call. Uh, the, the conversation today is about vaccines. Uh, what's the big deal about vaccines? How do they get approved? Obviously, with the COVID-19 vaccine, there's all this conversation about warp speed. Uh, there's this conversation about, is it safe? Where does it come from? How many are out there? Who's actually manufacturing it? What is the process for approval? Uh, we're going to walk through a vaccine conversation today, and we're going to go to the expert in this conversation. We're actually going to talk today to the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration for Dr. Hahn. Dr. Hahn, we're exceptionally grateful for you to be able to be on the call today. Well, let me talk a little bit about uh, Stephen Hahn. Yes. He's the 24th commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration. He joined President Trump's team, uh, President Trump's team at FDA December 17, 2019. Uh, and I, I assume, like everyone else, in December of 2019, he thought 2020 was going to be a nice, smooth year. Boy, were we all wrong on that. The physician, sure. scientist, healthcare leader, extensive background in patient care, academic research. He's done a lot on oncology. That's the core of his background on this. Uh, before serving as commissioner, uh, he was trained in both oncology and radiation oncology, served as the chief medical executive of the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, who has done phenomenal work in cancer for a very long time. Lots of other qualifications, way too many for us to be able to cover just in the introduction. But Dr. Hahn, leading the FDA during this time period has got to be its own challenge, but we're very grateful that you're doing it. What is a typical day even like for you right now? Well, Senator Langford, first of all, thanks for having me on, on your uh, podcast. It's really terrific to be here. Um, as you can imagine, I'm having uh, been sworn in on December 17th and having no idea like the rest of everyone else in America that COVID-19 would come. I really spent my initial time at, at the agency trying to learn about the agency as one would do as a new person to both Washington and FDA. And then, of course, COVID-19 came and And I and the agency have been laser focused not only on our traditional work of approving medical products and getting them out to the American people and providers, but also on, on a speedy um, approach to getting medical products out to the American people for COVID-19. We are singularly focused on that, but we are also focused on the fact that we must have data and science to drive our decision making. And Senator, I just want to emphasize that one of the incredible things that I've learned here is how tremendous and, uh, and really um, well-versed in science and data are the employees at FDA. They are a remarkable group of individuals, and they have performed admirably during what's been a very difficult time for everyone. I, I honestly can't even imagine because y'all are handling everything from new treatments to vaccines to hand sanitizer to it's all being thrown on top of y'all in addition to all the other work that you're already doing. Uh, yeah, so and food I, safety and security. I mean, it's an important part of the F, obviously, in Food and Drug Administration. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a big deal to be able to do it. So let me get the burning question to you that people ask me around the state when I travel around and around the country, quite frankly, it is when is a vaccine coming and will it be safe? I mean, that, I mean, there's a lot in that question, uh, but give us some of the timelines. And what I'd like to start with is a vaccine even coming to market even at all is a pretty long process. But for this one, it seems to be moving pretty quickly on that. Why would that be? Yeah, this is a really good question, Senator. And um, 
as you know, it can take, it usually takes years to get a vaccine from the initial development to actual market authorization or market approval by FDA. A couple of things have occurred here, and, and this is part of the lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. The first is that many things can be done in parallel. So you, with the vaccine process, it starts with identification of the agent, in this case, a virus. Once you identify and can get the, the sequence, the gene sequence of the virus, you can then start to think about what vaccines we could develop against that virus. Um, then that goes to not only test tube work, but animal work, and then into a sequence of clinical trials, phase one, which is safety, phase two, which is effectiveness, and phase three, which is a comparison against a placebo. And typically what happens is they happen in sequence. But because of the urgency of the situation, the time frame was compressed. The scientists found out about the genetic sequence of the virus. They started thinking about the approach to the vaccine, tested that in animals. And again, you can test multiple different types of vaccines in animals um, and do that simultaneously, and then go to phase one clinical trials. What we've done at FDA is to put our review in what we call a rolling review. And we've done this not just for vaccines, but for med other medical products. We're not gonna wait for a vaccine developer or any medical product developer to come to us and say, okay, we finished our animal studies. Okay, we finished our phase one studies. We're talking in real time with these manufacturers so that we can give them advice as they go along, they can change as they go along, and allows them to fit very seamlessly from the animal studies to phase one, to phase two, to phase three, significantly reducing the amount of time. And then what we're doing now is talking to them as they're in the later stages of the trials about what data we need to see in order to make a decision. So I think you can see that by working very closely and doing this on a rolling basis, we can compress that, 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 uh, that timeframe. Now, what's really important is FDA has been clear. We continue to be clear of the data we need to show effectiveness and safety. And we will not approve a vaccine that or authorize a vaccine that we would not want our own family to get. So yes, we're committed to telling the American people that we will approve a safe and effective vaccine. So what you really learned is the bureaucracy in between stages has taken up months and months of time by taking some of the bureaucracy out of the in-between, you've given the same opportunity for science to be able to do its research, to be able to do its work, but you've compressed the bureaucracy in between in some of the decision-making to make sure that you're actually answering questions faster, getting back to things faster, and it's sped up the process significantly. That's right. And we're referring it to rolling review, but um, you know our terrific FDA employees have been so responsive. Um, they have as you said, gotten back uh, very quickly to sponsors about questions they have. And this really does uh, accelerate innovation. And it's a lesson for the future, Senator Lankford. So how many different groups are involved in development of a vaccine? You don't have to name the name of one of the different developers, but I'm just trying to figure out, is this something FDA scientists come up with and they review and they test and then they put out so it's all within the FDA? Or where does the FDA fit in this? Because my understanding is there's federal research in the NIH, uh, there's BARDA research that's going on. There's independent private research that's happening. There's peer review that's actually going on. So there seems to be a lot of entities here, but a lot of people I talk to seem to think it's all happening at FDA. Yeah, um, all of the above, sir, except for all happening at the FDA. That's certainly not the case. So here's the situation. Um, in, in the FDA, we have over 50 developers of vaccines who have begun discussions with us about the development of a vaccine. So these are outside um, these are outside groups, typically manufacturers of vaccines, 
but could also be an academic group. Um, and, and worldwide, there's over 100 different vaccines that are being looked at. And think of it um, as, as there might be five or six different drugs to treat a certain disease, all coming from a different direction. So there's a lots of different vaccine technologies, and, and developers are coming from different directions. A sports metaphor might be taking multiple shots on goal. And that gives us an increased possibility that one or more of them will be successful. Now, FDA doesn't develop the vaccine. What we do is we provide technical assistance to the manufacturers to help them go through the regulatory process. And as we just mentioned, we're doing this in the rolling review process. So right now, we have two active phase three trials. And those phase three trials, as I mentioned, were where you compare placebo to active vaccine. That's the final stage of clinical development. Others are well on their way in phase one. Some are in the animal studies, um, and others are moving toward phase three, uh, phase two and phase three. And so these multiple shots on goal are moving through the system to get to the point where the data can be mature enough for FDA to look at it. Now, we have to go through this development process. It's very important. And just like we're not going to cut corners on the regulatory side of things, we're there to make sure and to work with developers so that they don't cut corners, and they're not. They're going through the process, which is very rigorous of these studies. And when you finally get to these phase three studies where you're comparing vaccine to placebo, in those studies, there's a very rigorous way that the data are analyzed. And these, Senator, not to get too technical, are event-driven, meaning based upon what level of activity you're looking for, so how effective do you want the vaccine to be, you enroll a certain number of patients. In this case, FDA's guidance said that we want the floor, not the ceiling, but the floor, to be 50% efficacious. Of course, we want a vaccine that's more than 50% effective, but that's the floor. This allows the developers to determine the number of volunteers they need in their big phase three trials. And in this case, that's 30,000 or more volunteers in a study, 15,000 getting the placebo, 15,000 getting the active vaccine. And then after that trial is enrolled, you wait for events. And in this case, it's for the development of COVID-19 infection. Because what we're trying to look at, what the developers are trying to look at, is can you prevent COVID-19 infection? It's based upon when those events occur and some pre-specified analysis that's done that independently of FDA, the developers look at those data. When they determine that they're mature, they come to us with an application. And then, and only then, do we look at it. It's why I can't answer the question, when will this occur? Because it's not up to FDA about when the data are mature from trials. That happens naturally from a clinical trial and they will follow their very rigorous procedures. Now, we'll double check to make sure that they have, but we'll only look at the data when they're submitted by a manufacturer, and they'll only submit it when the data are mature from the clinical trial. All right, Dr. Hunt, let me, let me run that past everybody again. So when you're saying you're doing the clinical trials, you've got 30,000 people in a clinical trial, and there's two of those that are going on right now with two different drugs, two different approaches uh, to how to be able to solve the issue of COVID-19. But as they're going through the trials, they're waiting for some of the people in the trials to actually get COVID to then be able to evaluate those individuals that get COVID-19. And I assume find out where they're on the placebo or where they're on the regular vaccine because the person that's taking it doesn't know whether they're on the placebo or whether they have actually the vaccine itself. But they're waiting, and the event here in this case is they actually get COVID uh, to be able to evaluate that. Is that correct? 
Senator Langford, you have just become an expert in clinical trial design. That is exactly right. And just to put a finer point on this, um, it is an FDA that, that, that is doing the clinical trials. It's the manufacturers um, that are doing the clinical trials, and they are waiting for these events. And only after pre-specified times is the trial unblinded to determine whether a person is on placebo or on the active vaccine. This is a very standard approach in trial design. So, yeah, the, the challenge of this is, and, and what a lot of people talk about, when is the vaccine going to be ready? The answer is, I don't know. When are 50 people in the trials actually going to get COVID so they can then evaluate uh, to be able to track it from there? So, literally, they get the vaccine, and they're told to go just live life, be out in the community, be around other people. And uh, as they're out and about around other people, then it starts getting evaluated. Do they get COVID? Do they not get COVID? Is that correct? That's correct. And um, it may not be 50. It really depends upon the clinical trial um, and where they've set that bar. We, of course, work with the manufacturers, but, but, but that number per se, 50 is a good example, but it may not be that number for a clinical trial, for one of these clinical trials. Okay. So you, you talked about different shots on goal on this. On a vaccine, there is a belief that there is, there's kind of like there's a virus and then there's a certain way to be able to attack that virus. But your description of shots on goal is describing something to say, there may be multiple different ways to be able to attack that virus. From the different um, vaccines that are going through, and you said there are 50 that are right now in some stage in the process on it, from the different uh, vaccines that are approaching either animal trials, bench trials, animal trials, or into human trials on it, uh, how many different approaches are the different manufacturers taking to try to all attack this one virus? Can you put them in categories or different types? Yeah, there's different types, um, and not to get too technical, at least four. Um, they're, um, and, and again, they, they tend to be technical, but they just approach. So, so what you're trying to do with a vaccine is to simulate the body's natural immunity against the virus. And you want that immunity to neutralize the virus, to prevent the virus from causing infection. And there's different ways of approaching that. Some may be a combination product where you have something uh, that, that stimulates the antibody production, uh, but also as an adjuvant, which uh, revs up the immune system. There may be an approach using um, um, what's called mRNA. Some people may have heard that, uh, a DNA vaccine. And a number of these uh, types of vaccines have been studied in the past. So there's a number of different technologies. And what scientists do is they look at the, the virus, they look at the sequence, and they uh, say, which of these types of approaches is most likely to be successful? And then they start to test. And you can see, if it's become successful to elicit immune response um, in an animal, um, and it's, uh, it's vigorous enough, then you can imagine that would be a good trigger to consider going into humans, as long as you were comfortable that the initial approach is safe in humans. And of course, we help the vaccine manufacturers with this. So at least four different approaches, um, and there are more out there that people are looking at. Okay. I've had folks that have asked me the common question, and I can kind of tell what generation they're in when they ask me this question is, is it a live virus? Uh, I've been asked that multiple times. Are they going to actually inject me with a live virus? So are any of these approaches an actual live COVID virus? So, um, you know, there, there um, are some approaches that are being tested. Uh, the approaches right now in the later stage clinical trials are not live viruses at this point. Okay. So uh, going back to the original question on this, when do you think is the earliest a vaccine might actually be out there? Knowing that we really can't guess a timeline and no one's trying to push you to do it faster, but it is like the general question. You've done all these mm -hmm. testing and it's gone through all the safety. They've had these events that have actually occurred. 
uh, towards the end of this when they actually turn documents over to you. And at some point we're gonna see in the news, the clinical trials have been completed. They've handed some packet over to FDA and FDA has to make a decision. How long is that decision time typically, uh, not knowing for certain what, what length this is going to be on it, how long is that length of time typically? And your best guess on when the first vaccine might be out there. So, um, you know, this is not typical time, Senator, as you know. Um, but it can take weeks to months for us to review a packet, depending on the, the complexity of the data. What we want to do is not cut corners. What we want to do is make sure that our scientists have the opportunity to look at the data. You know, we all feel the urgency of the moment. So we want to expedite that as much as possible, but we don't want to cut corners. So again, I can't speak because I don't know what the data are going to look like to how long this particular process will take or what we'll do with any specific application because we don't know what data we're going to see at this point. Um, but that time frame that I just described is a typical time frame for us. Um, and, and we will do everything we can to make sure that we're not wasting time and that we're reducing unnecessary roadblocks. But again, I want to emphasize we will not cut corners. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, I don't hear anyone that wants you to. Uh, everyone that I talk to says, oh, I want to take out all the bureaucracy and all the anything that will cause a typical delay and uh, to be able to make sure that's all cleared away. But no one wants to be able to shortcut the science, the testing, the evaluation, uh, and to be able to determine because these, this is us, this is our families. Uh, and long term, we want what's best for everyone as we actually walk through the process of it. Uh, so that's exactly right, Senator. Yeah, yeah great. And our, our career scientists, you know, they won't, there's no way that they'll uh, cut corners on the data because they take the responsibility for the American people so seriously. And none of the folks at the FDA have some financial benefit of one of these vaccines working or not working. It's not like so the, the manufacturers, obviously they have a financial incentive to be able to actually get it produced, be the best, be evaluated as the most effective and the safest, and to be able to get it done faster. They have financial benefits for that, but FDA doesn't, I assume? That's exactly right, Senator. Every one of us work working at FDA, myself included, are screened for any potential conflicts of interest or ethics um, issues. And anyone who touches an application um, is screened for that. So all the folks who are going to look at vaccine applications um, have been assessed for that um, internally, but also, and importantly, with our vaccine advisory committee, that independent group of experts, they are also screened for conflict of interest, industry ties, ethics, et cetera, uh, so that we can make sure that the people who are doing this review have no vested interest in the outcome of that review, and they're only looking at the science and the data. Okay, that's helpful. So we're hearing this term, Operation Warp Speed. It's a fantastic term that's out there. Uh, it just talks about an accelerated process on this. Where does FDA's process fit into this Operation Warp Speed? So Operation Warp Speed is run out of the Department of Defense and uh, Health and Human Services. Um, it is an independent entity from FDA, or I rather should say FDA is independent of Operation Warp Speed. We have drawn a very bright line between Operation Warp Speed and FDA. We treat them like any other sponsor, like any other manufacturer or developer of a vaccine. So we, like with other developers, give technical assistance but we do not participate in their decision-making. We give advice to them just like we would any other developer. Now, what they've done is they've infused um, experience, uh, advice, and money that Senator you and members of Congress have appropriated to help accelerate the development process, to help things occur in real time. Something called manufacturing at risk, where 
even as the, the vaccine is being developed and going from phase one to phase two to phase three, manufacturing is being ramped up. Now, that's risky, right, if you're the developer of a vaccine, because if you go through phase three and it doesn't work, you've manufactured vaccine that you can't use. And so you spent resources on that. But in this particular case, in order to expedite the development, um, Operation Warp Speed has helped work with companies to actually have that manufacturing up and running so that if a, a vaccine is authorized or approved by FDA, um, they can move quickly to administer that vaccine. So we're separate from that. Um, we don't participate in their decision making, but we provide technical support for them. So the term operation or manufacturing at risk is not risky manufacturing. It is taking the risk of if this doesn't work, uh, then we'll literally have to just pour that out. Uh, but if it does work, then we're ready to go. That's exactly right. It's a really important distinction, Senator. This is not risky manufacturing. Let me let me talk about that a little bit. Part of the application process to FDA um, is to look at controls around manufacturing and quality. Our job is to make sure that the, the process used for manufacturing of any product, but in this case vaccines, um, that every lot of the vaccine is, is produced in a quality way so that we have consistent quality throughout, no matter where you get, no matter when you get your dose of vaccine. That's one of the things that FDA is expert in. We've been doing this for years, and we're already working with manufacturers around vaccines as they move to the later stages of the clinical trials to look at their uh, manufacturing plants, to look at the documents, to look at their processes and procedures, and make sure that they meet our high standards. So are y'all involved in the distribution at all, or that's separate from FDA as well? Uh, because there's been a, a big question to say, okay, once, once it's once it's developed, once it's approved, uh, once it's gone through that process of manufacturing and it's available, who gets it? How does it actually come out? Yeah, that that is not an FDA um, authority. Um, we would provide, of course, technical assistance just like we would on the front end. Uh, but on the back end, in terms of distribution, we are not involved in that. That's primarily a CDC responsibility. But Senator, one thing that's really important to emphasize and that we've been asked a lot about is that after, if, if an authorization or an approval occurs, what happens to subsequent monitoring? So in a non-COVID normal situation, we typically require monitoring for safety long-term. That's a very standard thing what we do. The term we use is pharmacovigilance, but what it really means is that when you give the vaccine to an American, you wanna be able to follow them to, to make sure that there's long-term safety. It's a commitment we at FDA have to protect the safety of Americans, and we do that routinely for medical products and particularly vaccines. In this case, we've been very transparent about the fact that we will require very robust monitoring for safety if authorization or approval occurs. So although we're not involved in the distribution process, for every manufacturer vaccine, we will require them to follow people who've received the vaccine to continue to collect safety information because we need to incorporate that into our decision-making in the future um, with respect to any authorization or approval that we give. Okay. But that's the same that you do with all vaccines, is that correct? Same so with all vaccines, that's correct. Yeah, so that's a real benefit. So I, I do have to ask you just a simply personal question on this. I, everyone assumes with the vaccine that it's going to be an injection. When I was growing up and I got my polio vaccine, my doctor walked in with a lovely white sugar cube on it with a little stain on the sugar cube and handed me a sugar cube. What's up with that? How did we lose sugar cubes and now we go to just straight injections for vaccines? Uh, can we do a COVID vaccine that's on a sugar cube? Well, I every, remember every that. Every kid wants the answer to that question. 
I, I remember that, sir, from my days. I remember the little tube of red liquid that came in. Exactly. Um, so currently, the vaccines that are in the later stages of development are, are injections. Um, I don't have information for you, sir, about whether an oral vaccine is being worked on. Um, but at this point, what I'll tell the children of America um, is that this is an injection. Um, but to the pediatric points that you're bringing up, kids, um, we've given guidance to manufacturers about what to do with respect to kids. We want a vaccine that's safe in kids. But really what we typically do and what we're doing in this circumstance is to make sure we have data in adults before we move forward with the clinical trials in kids. Um, so so the, the studies that are being done right now are in adults. So very likely then in the initial, and we don't know yet at this point, but very likely the initial vaccines that will be available will be available for adults of all ages of adults. And then a later time period, there'll be vaccines available for kids. Is that what I'm picking up from you? So yeah, these are adult trials in their later stages. Now, um, who the, the vaccine might be authorized for really depends upon the data we receive. So again, I don't want to prejudge that nor do I want to prejudge what CDC will do once we look at the data and we make a decision, uh, because they may decide to prioritize one group over the other, and that'll be a public health decision. Okay, that's terrific. That's very, very helpful uh, to be able to walk through the process on vaccines. So uh, we, we talked by the end of 2021, we could have six different vaccines that are out there uh, on the market at that point, just in the United States, and there could be multiple others that are around the world from different manufacturers different ways to be able to attack this. So I can't speak to the number, Senator, that will be available and when, but we have multiple shots on goal. As I said, more than 50 applications into FDA uh, for different vaccines. So the pipeline's very robust. Yeah. What's interesting as well, and I think people lose track of this, NIH, ARDA, HHS, uh, just generally, the Department of Defense, FDA, CDC are all involved at some stage of either developing the distribution plan, developing actually the research portion of it, oversight of the research, technical assistance on this, approval, distribution plans. That's a lot of different agencies within the federal government, all that have a part, and they do their part, but not someone else's part. And so you've got a lot of folks that are actually looking through the process to be able to determine what's the right way to be able to go. Because a lot of people hear on the news that NIH has done this, or that CDC has done this, or that FDA has done this, thinking that's the whole thing, when really it's just one slice of what is a bigger process to develop a vaccine. That's exactly right, Senator. Um, and as you outlined, FDA oversees the regulatory side of this. NIH helps with research. The companies in the private sector are helping with the development process. Operation Warp Speed is, is enabling that. And then CDC is working with us, or working on the, on the distribution plan. Um, and CDC has for years had responsibility over vaccine, including flu vaccines. So they've been terrific partners. Um, uh, Director Redfield and I have spoken uh, multiple times about this. And we'll obviously coordinate um, and inform them of our decision-making to help enable the distribution process. Okay, well, we look forward to all of this work continuing because there's a lot that's still happening. It's a moving target, uh, but we very much appreciate all the work that you've done in a very unexpected year. Uh, when you take on the leadership of the Food and Drug Administration, you never know quite what to expect other than there are process things to be able to done, but for you to leave a medical practice and with all of your background in science and in research and for all the scientists and research that have stepped out of the private sector into the public sector to be able to take care of this and other issues, 
uh, we are exceptionally grateful. I wish I could pick your brain on what's happening on Alzheimer's and what's happening on oncology research and what's happening in so many different areas because there's a lot happening in research in a lot of different areas that we're quite frankly don't have enough time to be able to focus in on because there's so much attention on COVID-19 right now. But I know full well that a lot of your scientists and you are also having to commit some other time to other research because whether it is sickle cell or whether it is uh, cancer or whether it is Alzheimer's or so many other issues, uh, there's a lot happening in FDA right now. So thanks for all that you're doing there. Well, thank you, sir. It really um, is an honor and privilege to serve the American people. And um, let's, let's do this again. I'd love to come back and talk about the, the different work that we're doing, because you're right. It's remarkable. The amazing biomedical research and innovation that occurs in the public-private sphere is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable work. Let, let's do that again some other time, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit deeper. And if you can uh, press on some of the manufacturers to move us back to the sugar cube days of vaccines, I, I, just a little technical assistance nudge from you. I would okay, be sir. You every, bet. Every child in America would be grateful for that work. We'll be grateful. So let, let me do a quick wrap up on this. And I, I do appreciate folks that are listening or watching uh, the, the breakdown this time. We get a chance to be able to take the tough issues of the day and hopefully give you a little more detail to make it the smartest get at the water cooler uh, as we walk through this. want to be able to say where you can get more information, just go to Senator Langford on all the social media sites or at langford.senate.gov. Uh, and you can also subscribe uh, to the uh, the breakdown at all the normal places, at iTunes, at Spotify. Uh, you can get a chance to be able to go to all your normal spots where you get podcasts to be able to subscribe to this. We'll send it to you automatically every month when we finish this up to give you some of the latest details of some of the issues of the day. So God bless you. Let's all stay healthy, stay safe. I, I'm not wearing a mask right now because I'm not sitting close to you. Uh, but if I wasn't another time, I would be wearing a mask right now. So let's wear a mask. Let's stay safe. Uh, let's stay engaged, and uh, we're going to get through this. And in the days ahead, God willing, uh, we'll have a vaccine, and we'll talk about COVID-19 in the rearview mirror in about that year uh, that we walk through in 2020. So God bless you. Thanks again, Dr. Hahn. Look forward to getting a chance to catch up with you on other issues in the days ahead. Thank you, sir. Take care.